So Father, this morning we want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is and always will be our Lord and our Savior. Thank you that this morning you reveal yourself afresh as to what you are saying to the church through the Holy Spirit and that we will have ears to listen that Lord we will not be dull of hearing because we have heard so much of your word but rather that we will hear it afresh and we will understand the times that we are living in that we might receive afresh what it is that you are saying to the church your body and we bless you thank you for the spirits of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus that you will loose upon us that our eyes of our understanding may be open and we give thanks as always in Jesus name Amen. The revelation of Jesus has got many uh, manifold reasons and purposes attached to it. But I believe that one of the greatest revelations that Jesus will bring to us is that of the Father. And today, in today's society, we are faced with a fatherless generation and have been for some time. And by saying a fatherless generation, I mean a people who don't have an identity that originates from a relationship with their fathers. It is not how God had ordained it to be. And so we have a society that is broken down by a fatherless generation. And that doesn't mean the physical component of a father. He's talking about the one who behaves like a father, who treats their children in the way a father would treat his children in a legitimacy that is created by God in a legitimacy that is created by God we have fathers we have stepfathers we have estranged fathers we have drunken fathers we have molesting fathers we have fathers who uh, sleep around adulterous fathers we have all manners and all kinds of fathers in society and that has always been the plan of the devil to bring about a fatherless generation and you know when we are dealing with children who don't have an identity with their father a relationship with their father that they are the sons and the daughters of a father who is in position who is in place for them they lose sight of what it means to be a person who contributes towards life, society, family, and above all, to God. So, in His wisdom, God sent Jesus, the perfect Son, the one who would do His bidding and His willing, His will, exactly like how He had hoped it would happen. And in that he tested his own son upon the earth to see if he would be a faithful son. Not only to go to the cross and die for our sins, mm. 
but a son who would reveal the father he's not revealing himself okay just like the holy spirit is not revealing himself he's revealing jesus and the purpose of jesus is to reveal the father ultimately in your relationship with jesus you will be taken before the father and presented by the son to the father and he will say there here is your son here is your daughter that you gave me and until and unless you and i understand the father relationship that christ is promoting upon the earth a spiritual relationship that translates into a natural relationship you will not understand your identity you will not understand why you are living in hopelessness why you are living in a fear why those things that you are supposed to have in your life are not there because there is no father to provide it for you please understand the message of jesus his greatest desire was not to reveal himself his greatest desire was to reveal his father amen and he's trying to say to us he's trying to speak to us and say you need to understand the father need need to understand who it is that i'm taking you back to and so we have lost that identity even in the church and so when there is no father there is no law and therefore a lawless society comes about and same thing happens in the church because when you talk about a father you're talking about authority and then when there is no authority in the church or if authority is not being listened to or obeyed in the church then there is no father figure in the church to treat you in the way that you are supposed to be treated as sons and daughters of God so we need fathers in the faith but if we don't respect the fathers in the faith that God has sent us then we are not going to get what we are supposed to get in his completeness rather what will happen is we will try to take what we think is our legal right but without a father there is no legitimacy to that right an heir cannot receive a son cannot take something from a father's inheritance until the father gives it you don't have a right so you and i must understand that we are coming into a relationship with jesus for the purposes of being fathered by the father god who delights in the son and he says this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased now follow ye him and listen to him because he will show you the way to the father so when jesus said i am the way the truth and the life He meant he is the way to the Father. He is the way of how God's will is to be outworked upon the earth through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. 
So the concept of the father is an extremely important concept in today's society. Because without that, we're going to be confronted by the kind of things that we see constantly happening around us, around us in society. And we will just adjust ourselves and say, well, this is a rebellious society. This is a society that is sinful. This is a society that does not care. But we will never understand the reason why they are behaving the way they are behaving. And we will attack them. We will condemn them. We will put them down. And we will say they are a useless people. But we must understand the origins of their sin. If we don't, we will not know how to minister to them. Please come with me to the book of 2 Timothy. Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 onwards. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce makers, false accusers, incontinent, that is, without self control fears, despises of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What a sad, sad indictment on the church. That's us. Examine your own heart as to whether you fit into any one of these categories above. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I was very disobedient to my parents. In the end, I did not like my mother at all. I fitted into the category of Timothy 3.1. Disobedient to parents, rebellious, and when I came into the church, I behaved in the same manner. Rebellious to the pastor. Rebellious to my authorities in the church. I was disobedient to my spiritual fathers. I fell into this category. And I often ask myself, why did I behave in this manner? And I look back on my history, and I see that I was not with my natural father for many, many, many years. I left India when I was five years old and went to Burma with my father. 
and stayed with him for five years till I was at the age of ten. Went to Sri Lanka for two years, stayed with him for two years till the age of twelve. And then we got separated because my father said, you need to go to India and study. And my mother and the rest of the siblings were taken to India and we stayed there. And that broke my heart. That broke my heart because I loved my father. My father was the supreme commander of my life. In everything. He was not, you know, easy with me. He was tough with me. He beat me with a stick. He did lots of things to correct me. But I knew in my heart that he loved me. And above all, I loved him. This broke me. When that broke me, I became rebellious. Because something happened in the inner man, something happened deep within my spirit. So every action after that was reject the other parent, the mother, to the point where over the years I began to hate her intervention in my life. I didn't like it. And we fought like cats and dogs. Well into the 50s of my age and 55s of my age. And I didn't understand until God told me one day, He said, son, if you don't honor your father and your mother, your days on this earth will not be well. And you will not live long. That day, I came to the realization of the truth about the Word of God and the relationship that He expects to have that is manifest not only in the spiritual that is you cannot have a relationship with the spiritual Father our Heavenly Father only you need to have a, a, a natural relationship with your natural Father that equates to the relationship you have with the Heavenly Father because it is in that that he commands the blessing. I hope you understand what I'm talking about this morning. Because the society that is being created around us is also influencing the church. They're going to come into the church. Perilous times shall come. That's what Timothy's uh, uh, the word to Timothy was by Apostle Paul. Perilous times shall come. And then he, and he dictates then afterwards what kind of people will come. And we've seen it. In the last six years that we have ministered here, we have seen it. And God showed it to me and he said, Son, this is what I'm talking about. These are the people you have to minister to to bring them back to me. What does a parent do? What does a father do? He rebukes, he chastens, he corrects, he provides, he loves. But the only thing that we always want to seek out of a father is his love. We don't want anything to do with anything else that he is trying to say to us. Don't do it this way, do it this way. Ah, I know now, I'm 18 years old. I know our life, I've lived it. Don't tell me what to do, Dad. 
And that's the same relationship, unfortunately, in the church that we have with God, our Heavenly Father, because we say, oh, don't talk to me, Father. i got a relationship with Jesus, your Son. That's good enough for me. I'm doing miracle signs and wonders. That's good enough for me. And the father's heart is grieving because the child doesn't understand. And he's constantly reaching out. He said, if you want a relationship with me, you must emulate my son. You must emulate my son. I don't say that it's going to be easy. Never said that. I know in my relationship with the Father God that He stripped me bare, not over one day, over many, many years, probably 30 to 35 years of my life. He stripped me bare. But He started with this. He appeared to me the night my natural father died. I didn't know. And my bedroom wall disappeared and Jesus was standing in the sky. And Jesus looked at me and his look was to say, what are you going to do now? And when I saw Jesus, I immediately knew my natural father had died that very instant. You see, God sent Jesus to break the relationship we have with the world so that we can have a relationship with the father first before we have a relationship with the world. I built a relationship with my natural father that was so dear to me. Nobody could stand in the way. Nobody. Not even my mother. And Jesus said, sorry. God comes first. Your father comes first in heaven. Where are you today? Who's your idol? Who's your number one in your life? Yeah, we all mouth Jesus, I love you Lord, and we worship you, and we carry on with all those sort of things because we get Christianese, you know? Christianese is to behave like a Christian when you come to the church. Lift your hand, say the right thing. She's fine, right? How are you doing? I'm fine. But actually you're rotten inside, you're hurting. But you say, no, I'm fine. Because you don't want anybody to know. So much so you don't even want your Heavenly Father to know. You don't want Him to know. That's why when you go and pray, you hide the things that you don't want Him to know. And you know, I've got the other stuff, so I don't need to tell Him about this. But in your heart, you're hurting, you need somebody to comfort you. To tell you that those deepest, most inner thoughts of your heart are covered. That He is not there to condemn you or destroy you or to cast you out into outer darkness, but to bring you into the light and into the fellowship with Himself. So He sent the Son. So He sent the Son. In the last days, 
perilous times shall come. How are we going to minister to these people? Because we will be, they will be very much an in-your-face kind of people. When I came here six years ago with my wife, I never expected to get the in-your-face kind of people that were in the church. Because I've been traveling around the world and I have never seen a bunch of people like this in my life. Never. And I said, God, what are you doing? I'm making you a father. I'm making you a father. Can you father them? I don't know. I don't know if I can. But I know God that you can. So first you got to father me in order for me to father them. And there were many tears. There was much pain and much, much sorrow. There was a much going and demanding God that he let me on the hook. He said no. We're going to come across a very difficult society which was already happening around the world. Already happening and has been for a long time. The devil's plan has always been, you know, to slowly but surely erode society to the point where they become lawless. Donald Trump was saying just the other day, he said, if we had not intervened, they would have burned the courthouse down in Portland, Oregon. A lawless society can burn down a governmental courthouse and nobody does anything about it. Because those who are supposed to be in the law are now becoming lawless as well. When we don't have God in our society, when we don't have God in our schools and in our churches and in our daily walk and being able to, to express our faith and our belief, if we cannot express God, you see, in India you can express God freely as long as it's a Hindu God. Nobody will object to you even building a temple on the street and making money. Nobody. But the moment you start to speak about God as in the revelation through Jesus, they don't want to know. They shut you down. They'll attack you. They'll persecute you. They'll kill you. They'll rape you. They will murder you. They will ostracize you. They will put you in jail. They will do all manners of things to you because you want to reveal Jesus and through Jesus the Father God. A lawless society that does not have a father to govern them. You know, and you know our Prime Minister is our father. If he doesn't govern us properly, he is not doing his father's job over the nation. Everybody in authority is a father. A father is also a governmental authority. And so in the latter days, 
And this is an interesting statement in the latter days. So I uh, looked at what the latter day means. The Bible breaks up the biblical existence of the earth into types of days. We've got the creation days, we've got the post-Adamic days, we've got the pre-flood days, that's before Noah and then Noah. Then we have pre-Mosaic law days with Abraham. Then we have the days of the law. Then we have the days of Jesus on the earth, which is the dispensation of grace. And then the days of judgment, which are already on the earth and are coming in greater force. But if you read the Bible in between, from the beginning to the end, there are constant references, references in the Bible to the latter or last days. A particular type of day or a particular type of days. Latter or last days. Constantly referred to in the Bible. So when I look at that and I say, what, what does it mean and, and how do I juxtaposition it? How do I put it? in the context of my relationship with God, my walk on the earth, and my particular time on the earth, the time that I am living on the earth. Mm. And then I say, first thing I must do, is I must look into prophecy. Because when Paul, the Apostle Paul, Paul spoke to Timothy, and he said in the last days, he's talking about a time that is prophetically designated, that shall come when evil people will be in abundance upon the earth. And he's talking to Timothy about the latter days or last days. So I look to prophecy and I say, if something was said in Genesis about what is going to come in Revelation, I need to understand what the last days are. And the second thing I need to understand is whether I am in those days. So what do you think? What do you think? Right? Do you think you are in those days? Or maybe you don't think at all and say, oh, no, I'll just go to work, you know, I'll just carry on, I'll just do the same thing over and over again. And I don't get two hoots about what the prophecy says or what the Bible says because I will get up in the morning and the sun will shine like it used to shine for the last 6,000 years. It will keep shining. So what am I worried about? I'll just go out and visit my veggie garden. I'll pluck a few veggies and I'll just cook the food and I'll just carry on with my life and I'll complain about bullbirds and I'll complain about no petrol and this and that. But life will go on. No, it's not going to go on because we are now in the latter days. We are now in the last days of, of the last days of the last days because when Jesus came, the last days began. The manifestation of Jesus was the beginning of the last days or the latter days. So we have two things that will happen in the latter days. One will be the outpouring of the Spirit. In Joel 2, 23 and 28 and 29, he said, in the last days I shall pour out my Spirit. So he's not talking about a one-time event. He's talking about a continuous event that takes place beginning with the church, the day of Pentecost. And carries through into the last days. So that's fantastic. That's what we want to see. We want to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We want to see millions, billions coming to the Lord. But you know something, that's not the only thing that's going to be happening in the last days. So don't be fooled. 
when it's happening. Because when it's happening, it's a signal that something else is going to happen after that. And you would pray, God, please take me out of this earth. I can't handle this anymore. Elijah prayed a prayer like that under the juniper tree, and he had said, That's enough. Now take me out of here. Kill me, take me home. <laughs> God had other plans. He said, no Elijah, you're going to carry on for a little longer. Then I'm going to send you a chariot of fire. And you're going to go up in a whirlwind to heaven. But then something else is going to happen to you. Which he didn't know about, or probably knew about. Let's go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubborn. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Whoa! Check this out. What's he talking about? What days is he talking about? Right? That's what you've got to understand. Then go down to 5, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. So Elijah's destiny was not over when he left the earth. He's going to come back. Did he come back? That's the question. It seems that he did. In the spirit of John the Baptist, that he came back, okay, and he began to preach a message called repentance and righteousness. <coughs> So he's talking about reconciliation. And Paul writes in the book of Corinthians that we have the ministry of reconciliation. Who are we reconciling? Well, I hope that first and foremost, you are reconciling yourself. So I accepted Christ 20 years ago. I'm a Christian, born again. I go to church. I pay my tithes. You know, I lift my hands and worship. I see a few miracles here, there, signs and wonders. I've brought a lot of people to the Lord. You know, so I'm okay. Those are works. Those are works. This has got nothing to do with your heart condition. It's got to do with the power of God invested in you, living in you, and outworking itself through gifts. Then one day you might get a knock on your door and say, son or daughter, what about that issue in your life that you have not reconciled with me? So what are you talking about? What about the unforgiveness? What about the bitterness? 
the blasphemy? What about the little lies you said along the way that you just covered under the carpet so nobody could see it? But I saw it and I heard it. And now I'm bringing you to account and I'm saying repent. What is the demand of reconciliation? The demand of reconciliation to a heavenly father is righteousness. He's not reconciling you with all your sins and all your headaches and all your burdens and all of those things. No, he's not reconciling you with that. He's saying, go stay out in the outer darkness where they belong. I'm reconciling you into righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm reconciling you to my righteousness. To have a right standing before me like my son Jesus. And that's not it. Oh, I'm imputed. I've got imputed righteousness. Wow. Wonderful. But somewhere along the way, you took that cloak of righteousness off. By your behaviors. By your character. By the things you said and did. And you say, oh, I'll put that on whenever I feel like. Right? It's always there for me. And so we say it's imputed righteousness. And forget all about faith. And what does faith mean? Faith means to believe God. Faith means to accept what God is saying about you or about a situation or about a circumstance and, and act, in, act it out in faith according to what He said. So faith accounts to righteousness. So Abraham, when he was approached by God and said, Son, I'm going to make you a father of nations and you shall be a mighty man of God. He believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. So that was not imputed righteousness. That was righteousness that came out of faith. So why do we need that kind of righteousness? Because God is going to test us. God is going to test us in the last days, in the perilous times. To see if we will stand in our faith and walk in righteousness. That means every word that comes out of your mouth, every attitude you have, every behavior pattern that is there in you, whatever it is that you are doing or saying that you think you are right, but you know in the deepest part of your heart you are not. He said, how do I find that out? Well, it's very easy. Go into the throne room and ask God to look at it. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me, O God, that I might not sin against you, says the king, David. Mm. Why did he say that? Because he knew what a dirty rotten scoundrel he really was. <laughs> I know. You're all righteous. You got evidence of your righteousness. Which I know you will go up to God and say, I've got evidence of my righteousness. And he will say, what about this? And what about that? You say, what, are you talking about something that happened 50 years ago? Yes. But isn't it under the blood? Yes. Have you confessed it? Uh, let me see now. Repentance. 
brings us into righteousness with God. You see, the dangers of praying prayers that make absolute no sense is that we will repent on behalf of a nation's sins, but we will not repent on behalf of our own sins. I'm very wary about repenting over a nation's sins before I repent over my own sins. Because then I'll be in with the nation in its judgment if I don't get my heart right with God. And I will be self-righteous because I'll be pointing my finger at the sins of the nation and not my own sins. Perilous times shall come in the last days, lovers of themselves. Are you a lover of yourself? Are you a poster? I, me, and myself? You know? Could be. Somebody might think of you in that way. I, me, and myself. Lovers of themselves. I don't have time for God, man. Too busy. So you're not a lover of God. And God just spoken to you and told you to do something. Sorry, God, I'm too busy. You know what we want? We want God to turn up at our doorstep. Say, I'm God. I'm here. Now listen to me. I want you to do this. Then we might think about it. But if a prophet or a teacher or a pastor or a leader or somebody else comes along and says, Hey, listen, take a look at your life. You're not walking in the right direction. Ah, get lost, man. We don't want to know you. Yeah, that's not who we were supposed to be. You're supposed to mollycoddle me. You're supposed to pamper me. You're supposed to rub my back. You know, give me a glass of warm milk and put me to bed. I'm telling you, in the last days, the prophets are going to come. The prophets are come already. Okay? And they're going to come in a greater, greater manifestation. Two guys are going to turn up. They're called the two witnesses. And they're going to convict the world of their sin. They'll be so hated that they will try to attack them. And they can't, because God's going to protect them. And fire is going to be issued out of their mouths. And they can put any form of disease on anybody at any time, and they will. Dangerous, dangerous men of God are coming, who will not take any nonsense, who will not accept any rubbish, who are going to clean up the house like we heard about the washing machines. You see, you can leave the church but what happens to you is that you will end up in the wilderness lost living in your own mind you become a legend to yourself. So I don't need this I don't want to be told any bad things. 
I only want to hear good things and if you're not going to preach good things, I don't want to come to church. I'm out of here. I'm too busy, you know, to be listening to your rubbish. That's what that lady came and told Chris yesterday. I've got one of these tracks in my mailbox. You keep it to yourself. It's rubbish. I told Chris, a diamond nugget just went into your account. And secondly, I said, when she gets up and fronts Jesus, he will ask her, so now do you think this is rubbish? How many times have we spoken to God in that way and said, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is rubbish. So, oh, do you think this is rubbish? Conditions of fatherhood. You know, there are conditions to fatherhood. Many, many conditions to fatherhood. But I'm just going to give you a couple. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. I will read 14 as well. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father. So, without the spirit of adoption, okay, who is the spirit of adoption? The spirit of adoption is the Holy Spirit sent. He's called a comforter. And Jesus said, uh, I will not leave you comfortless. The word comfortless means orphans. Why do you think we're helping orphans? They don't have parents. Or they have one parent. They need comfort. And when you don't have one parent or you're parentless, you're without a guide. You're without someone who can direct you in the, in the way that you should go. And so the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption comes into us and He guides us through Christ Jesus into the presence of the Father that we might open our hearts to Him and say, Abba Father. And then the connection takes place between our Father and us that is so dynamic, that is so powerful that you cannot contain it. And I, and I want to say this again to you. When I was being wooed by a father, you know, I had already lost my natural father and I was in this meeting and they were practicing speaking in tongues and, and uh, uh, interpretation of tongues and this lady next to me interpreted the tongues and as she began to speak, I heard the voice of Father God. Like a thousand Niagara Falls. All rushing in at the same time. Very loving. Very, very loving. But very firm. And you knew the buck stopped here. And I heard this voice. And this voice said to me, the audible voice of God said to me, He said, My son. Oh, man. 
I broke down. I didn't know what, where to put myself. I didn't know. I'd never heard anything like this in my life. Because it was love. And it was power. And you knew you were in contact with the one who gave birth to you. You knew that. And then he said again, my son. Why do you think you, I don't love you? He said, I love you very much. I would give anything in the entire universe to hear that voice again. Just to know that I have my father. That my God is my father. That my Lord is my father. That the one who walks with me on the earth is my father. That he is gently but surely guiding me through the paths of evil and upon this earth and directing me back to himself. You see, the father is manifest in the father. The father is manifest in the son and the father is manifest in the Holy Spirit. They're all father. Jesus said, I and my father are one. He said, if I don't reveal the father, you won't know the father. And he said, I send you a spirit of comfort. He is going, going to bless you and not leave you as orphans. So who is an orphan? An orphan is one who does not have a father or a mother or a father or a mother. So he's father again. God. God in his entirety, his father. And he wants to have this relationship. He wants to bless us. So he gave us the model in his son Jesus. And he said, live according to what he says. Because he knows the way. See, the danger of a fatherless society is that God will put a curse upon the earth. We don't want God to do that. But already there is an outbreak amongst our society where we have a fatherless society and generation and have had for some time. And it's going to increase. Now you know what my own theory is? This that these are the people who if they are not fathered, who if they are not witnessed to, who if they do not come to know that there is a God and He's the Father and He loves them and He cares for them, that these will become the antagonists who will persecute the church and who will come against God in the last days. They will be God and Magog. These are the people Why do you think God has given us the commission? To reach these people. Before they become something that cannot be changed. Well, reprobate, become reprobates. A reprobate is someone whose conscience is seared. That means a hot iron has been placed upon their conscience that the blood of Jesus will not work anymore on that conscience. They don't 
know anything. These guys who are going to come up against Jesus in the last days, they don't know anything. They only know what they want to know. Their consciences are seared. They are the enemy, they are the hordes of hell that are going to march upon the earth to destroy everything that God has created. And they're coming. The second condition of fatherhood is in two Corinthians six. Two Corinthians six fourteen through to eighteen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord over Condition of not involving ourselves with the world, and with unbelievers, and cohorting and carrying on with them. He's not talking about evangelism. He's talking about indulging yourself in their practices. Involving yourself in their practices. Be ye separate. So what happens when you become separate? You know your light is shining when you become separate. And guess what happens when the light shines? Darkness wants to attack. Why do you think so many people will never open their mouth and speak a word of truth from the Bible to someone who's going to hell? Because they are afraid of rebuke, persecution, and being put down and offense. So Christians are mute. And they go along with the unbeliever and they go along with what that person says and says yes. Or they don't agree in the sense that they keep silent and they think that's good enough. Elijah went and challenged Israel and he said, look, you are worshipping Baal. So you take a choice or make a choice today who God is and who you will worship. Instead of telling them that, we say it's alright. I don't want to get involved in again, offending you or having your wrath come upon me. So I just huddle in my little church, 
a local body and I'll just try to light the fire there. So you don't shine, you don't walk into a situation where you are the authority that is speaking into the darkness and saying, hey darkness, you listen to me, you get out from here in the name of Jesus. This is my territory. They will come, the hordes will come, your family will come. They say, oh, you're going the wrong way. You know, you've disregarded us. You don't care about us anymore. You've become a Christian. You know, in India, the moment a Hindu becomes, especially a woman, becomes a Christian, she's in danger of her life. The instant she becomes a Christian, and if anybody comes to know in her family, they will either rape her, or they will kill her, or they will lock her in the room and she will never be able to come out again. One girl had become a Christian, I met her in my cousin's place. And you know, the parents were so ashamed. And they said, you will never find a husband amongst our community. She said, I don't want a husband amongst my community. I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. They pressured her and they pressured her and they pressured her. And they got her married to a guy who was a Hindu. And she had to go through the Hindu rites of marriage. Only to turn out that that guy was impotent. So the other family who gave the boy in marriage knew about this boy's condition knew about the girl's faith and said, well, here's a perfect match made in heaven for us. We can offload them. Well, needless to say, the marriage didn't last long and she came across to me and Anoja and we counseled her and the Lord spoke to her and gave her a word. She's all alone in the world. Ostracized by her family, no husband, but thank God, thank God, she has a faith. She's strong, she's standing strong. All alone. See, you don't understand, those days are coming here. America never thought that they would have this, these kind of days happen to them. But they have a history of civil war. They have a history of killing one another. They have a history of violence. They have a history of murder. They have a history of debauchery. They have a history of all sorts of bad things. It's revisiting them. It's revisiting them. Because they have not repented of their sins. They have not sought righteousness. We need to pray that a fatherless generation will become a generation that has fathers. And we are the fathers, every one of us, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the fathers. Otherwise we're going to face a very, very difficult society. And things are going to hem in on us and we will not be able to handle it. Look, there's a lot more to talk about actually. This is a two-part sermon. But I'm going to end it now. And you've got to listen. 
you've got this. Let's go finishing to 2 Peter. Peter is giving us the kind of people that are going to come and are already here. 10 onwards to 22, but we'll just read a few verses. But chiefly then that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And the same thing is echoed again in Jude chapter 1, verse 10. People. We're not talking about demons. We're talking about people. And they will come to you. And they will demand that you be like them, or else something will happen. I was watching a testimony in about a boy's father in Nigeria. So the rebels came to the father, who happened to be a village chief, and said to him, deny Jesus Christ. And he said no. So they chopped off his wrist. And then they said to him, now, deny Jesus Christ. And he said, no, and they chopped off his elbow. And they said, deny Jesus Christ now. And he said, no, and they shot him three times, and he died. Natural brute beasts. Natural brute beasts. They're doing it now they out there. They don't care too much about any humanity or humans or society or government. They're doing exactly what they want to do. And it's going to increase. We need to pray that God comes and pours out his spirit of adoption and restores these souls. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him we have the examples of how you would like your children to be. Give us the grace and the mercy to do that. And let us not be so preoccupied with ourselves and this earth that we do not see your heart. Allow us that insight into your heart that we might come into that place you want us to be. Pour out your spirit upon an evil, dark generation. They'll come together again. In the last days, you said you'll pour out your spirit. Lord, we need it. We need that outpouring. Thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name.